Welcome back to another edition of the Return the Picks podcast, where once again we're trying to make some money off watching the NFL. And that is not going that well this season, as it seems that the first round of the playoffs and the last weekend with uh, over four games in it uh, didn't prove too, pr- uh, too fruitful, I should say, for myself, Ollie Wilson, Jazz Gillum, and Dave Bluck. The super mega awesome wildcard, amazing mega wildcard round. You're not a fan of the rebrand? It's just a wild card weekend. Just keep it at that. Yeah. yeah I have wild cards are cool enough. Uh, exactly. Like name anyway. Wild, wild card. Yeah. yeah. But, why, but why super wild card? Because yeah. there were six wild games. Card. Although the so, super. So what the six games? Well, the super bit almost makes it sound like it was special and novel and it won't happen again. But obviously it will because there's yeah. always going to be six Next wild card year. games. Yeah. Plus, like, we've got the Super Bowl. Like, just leave the word super to the super because if anything now it makes the divisional round seem less important because oh we won the super wild card week but now the divisional week well who really cares about that if it was super divisional week we'd really care about it. i'm sure that's how the players feel uh, i don't know anybody that's bought any of that like division championship gear or anything naff like that did they bring out any like super wild card winners gear <laughs> <laughs> like i'd almost buy that as a novelty t-shirt i mean obviously yeah, yeah. I think the Browns, uh, if they do get waxed this week, should just have that as like they should put a banner up in their stadium so they can have something. Super uh, wild card week. Super, super wild, wild, card, wild, wild card weekend 2020. Yeah, yeah. We were, it's the start. It's the start. We were very lenient on Jazz, I actually think, in terms of like what happened with that game. Yeah, we've got a whole off season to trash his team as well, so it's fine. That's true, and it is a it is a team that yeah, there's a few things up in the air. Difficult you don't know. to kind of throw shade when you're looking up. From the bottom of a mountain, anyway, in the first place. We're trying to drag you down. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really care where I am. I just want to pull you. Yeah, it's that <laughs> Simpsons meme with Homer patting the sofa, just going, "Join us." That's all it is. <laughs> Me and David just sat there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so the Steelers obviously lost the Cleveland Browns, becoming the first eleven and zero team in NFL history to be knocked out of the playoffs before the divisional round. Uh, we just leave it at that. Um, yeah, did, let's leave that there. How did that affect anybody's bets from last week? Did anybody get anywhere near? You no, got very uh, near. Yep. I got one and five. One and five. Jazz's strong record of picking Packard. wildly continues. <laughs> I know. I'm so bummed that your bets this week are so similar to mine. I really wish you hadn't done that. Oh, is that why you thought that? That's why you said what you said. That you yeah, did, you cursed. Like, you've cursed me. Oh. You've really cursed me oh. because we are very, very similar. So there we are. So you didn't um, have a great I went, one. I went four and two. So I uh, didn't get the Ravens right, which in hindsight feels like I could have picked that. And then the Rams, uh, that was just like such a coin flip. I thought the Seahawks would win, didn't get that. So Yeah, yeah it was just the Ravens that banged me. You can't say your bets were that similar to jazz because he went one and five and you went four and two no 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 no. this week this week oh okay all right yeah yeah okay upcoming yeah bets um which i hope that i win and you lose and i'll be like well told you so i mean i hope one of us wins at some point this is (laughs) beyond like well the thing is this season we've been terrible last season we had three wins two for me one for Dave. covid it's covid it's covid it's that's we're gonna blame you know it's covid it's covid it's covid covid it up um we also had two go uh coaches on the podcast today um Sal Capaccio, who is the Buffalo Bills sideline reporter and beat reporter, uh, former high school coach as well, which is why I'm happy to say that we got two coaches in there. It sounds 
cool. Uh, and Jeff Reinbold as well, Sky Sports NFL analyst and uh, special teams coordinator of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, both on the show as well. Um, I really enjoyed chatting with both of them, to be honest. Great. Great guys. Yeah, great chats. I enjoyed chatting with them a lot more than chatting with you guys. So that's the, you know. I mean, that's not a high bar, though, is it? No. Well, let's hope that everybody else prefers listening to them more than us and <laughs> enjoy the pod. It's coming. Pass is picked off. He's going to go looking again, and it's picked off by Stephon Gilmore. Down on the right sideline. Into the end zone, and he's picked off. Back the other way. All right, big podcast to get into. Uh, I'm delighted to say our first guest is joining us already. Uh, he is the Buffalo Bills sideline reporter. You can find him on Twitter at Sal Sports, beat writer as well, an all-round good gentleman. It's Mr. Sal Capaccio joining us live from Buffalo. Sal, how you doing, man? It's uh, I guess it's it's been a wild and exciting week for you. Yeah, it's been a it's been quite the journey. You know, guys, I grew up here in Buffalo and. Um, I left for a while. I was living in Florida for 16 years, but you know, I, I went through. I grew up a Bills fan, and I I went through the ups and downs early mm-hmm. on in my life, but especially the ups going through four to four Super Bowls. But you know, it's been 25 years since then. 25 years since this team, this organization, won a playoff game, and finally we were able to do it. It was so cool, and it's been a great ride. It's been a great run this year. I don't think it's ending anytime soon. I think this organization's set up for a lot of success. And this week has been really cool um, doing this with you guys. I love it. Love being able to talk bills across the pond, if you will, uh, but also around the country. I'm getting a lot of calls in Canada too. Uh, people are interested about the Buffalo bills. You know, they, they want to learn more about them. In terms Absolutely. of, in terms of uh, the kind of, I guess, keeping um, your head above water with all of this, is it kind of difficult? Because obviously you talk about the players getting excited by playoff moments and the games and build-ups etc is it difficult for you guys as reporters as beat writers as as guys so closely linked with to the club to in the franchise to be like a bit of giddy almost it must be kind of like a childish exuberance coming off you suddenly this week that you're getting to live this dream now as uh, as being so close to the franchise and being a kind of a key part of it of bringing it to other people well you know i'm probably a bit different than a lot of people in the media because i grew up here and i was a fan right and what are we supposed to be in in this business not a fan right yeah, you gotta be objective and, <laughs> yeah. and all of that and then keep blinders on and things like that but i'll make no bones about it i mean first of all i am on the flagship station wgr i am the sideline reporter for the team during the radio broadcast if you listen so you hear me broadcast i you know i travel with the team the road games i'm with them so you know and, and i grew up here in buffalo and I, I want this city to see a champion but i try to keep as be objective as possible obviously because that's my job but i think for most of us in the media it's just it's routine you know we know what our schedule is every day go out watch practice but certainly having a chance to you know be a part of a playoff game a playoff atmosphere is pretty special and cool and then yeah the, the bright lights come on you i mean we're going to be on saturday night prime time on nbc here that's yeah. really cool in buffalo we don't get that a lot i will say though when they when they first got back to the playoffs in 2017 after the 17 uh, year playoff drought that was a little different i think people were like because so many people like me had never experienced that you know going and covering a playoff game and being a part of it and now it's three out of four years we're so used to it right <laughs> yeah <laughs> humble brag <laughs> What about this weekend coming up? I mean, we, we've got to talk Ravens-Bills. Nerves? I mean, there's there's an energy about this Bills team that is very different to, to previous playoff series in the last few years. 
I mean, this is this is a team now that's built on confidence rather than yeah. kind of a, a shaky, headstrong excitement going into playoff games. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to put it. It's a good way to put it. They were kind of the young upstarts the last couple of years, you know, getting into the playoffs. And, you know, in 2017, if you remember the way that season started, they, they fired Rex Ryan, they hired Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean comes in, they traded Sammy Watkins, traded, traded Ron Darby, and everybody's like, oh, they're tanking. They want the number one pick. And the Bills kept saying, we're not, we're not. We're going to try and win. And I don't think they expected to get to the playoffs, but they wanted to compete. And they, they got a few breaks along the way. Suddenly they found themselves in a playoff race, and they won with, you know, defense and special teams. Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback. They weren't that great on offense, but they were okay. Um, you know, but then they they really overhauled the roster the next year. And I think that's when the step back happened. It's funny. We say here in Buffalo, the, we, we expected the step back in 2017 and then to go up in 2018. It kind of went reverse. They had the year nobody expected in 2017, but then they took the step back in 2018, which I think everybody had expected the year before. And then, you know, that's when they get Josh Allen. And that's yeah. when they hire Brian Dable. And really, it's all been kind of an trajectory going up since then is what it's been but you know they get to the playoffs last year they have a 16 to 3 lead and things fell apart and, and josh he tried to play hero ball if you will you know he tried to do too much it's the first time that a lot of those guys have been in that situation especially the young guys so i think this year was all about really advancing to that next step like now you got to graduate now you know you got guys like Travis white and Deion dawkins who are no longer on rookie contracts are signing extensions now a head coach who signed an extension a gm they're not the young fresh team anymore and I think that was what people were looking for this year can they take that next step and last week I think was a big week you know is that they didn't play their a game and I, I do think that there's something to guys that that they had to lose to win first but you got to win you got to see yourself win I think that was a mental thing up here they hadn't advanced beyond that in the two out of the three years they made the playoffs but finally they did last week and I think now they can play a little more loose and free you could Sal just to piggyback off that you could say the same about Lamar and the Ravens a little bit, you know, they've fallen at the yep. the first hurdle the last two years. Is that kind of, does it feel like that kind of evens things up a little bit that they won last week as well and kind of got over the hump? I, I do. And, and I think there's so many similarities, guys, between Lamar and Josh specifically, right? Because they're both part of that 2018 draft class and they were both very, very polarizing coming out. I mean, you had people like Bill Polian saying, switch Lamar to wide receiver, right? He can't play quarterback in the NFL. And then you had so many people who just just trashed Josh Allen accuracy. He's going to be horrible. He's never going to make it in this league. And all they've done is prove critics wrong, both of them. Yep. Lamar becomes the MVP last year after that huge leap from year one to year two. And Josh has made the similar leap in year two to year three. He made a step last year, but he's off the charts this year. and He's an MVP candidate. So I think in that regard, it's right. And then you're right. Lamar had, you know, he went to the playoffs. He lost his first game. They were the number one seed in the playoffs last year. They lose to Tennessee. Tennessee figures them out. There's a lot of questions of, oh, teams figured it out. You're never going to win with a guy like Lamar in the playoffs. Same thing happened with Josh last year. Ah, uh, gets to the playoffs with a guy like that, he can't win. Here they are. They both win. It's two 24-year-old quarterbacks matching up in the divisional round, both first-round picks who people doubted. And I think that's true about what you said with the Ravens and Lamar. Not the Ravens organization. They've won. But specifically this Lamar Jackson era, I think, with Josh Allen, I think is very similar. Yeah, I mean, again, we got to Josh Allen. I think the reason why he made the step this year is just to take the mistakes out. And those hero yep. ball plays he had and that lost to the Texans in the playoffs last year. This year, he's still doing them, but they're coming off perfectly. Like the uh, the throw to Dawson Knox into the end zone on that touchdown. Uh, last year, that was probably getting fumbled yep. and returned. This yep. year, it's just the rubber, the green is going his way, either through extra practice. But I, that's why I think he's made the step. He's just taking the mistakes out. Yeah, what is that down to, Sal, for you? Is that is it coaching or is it just kind of... Is maturity, he, maybe. 
Yeah, is it maturity? Yeah, you know, what is it? It's both. It's both. But, you know, I, I think what happened with Josh, guys, was, um, you know, he went to the right organization that treated his development right. You know, I mean, you look at that 2018 class to go back to that again. Look at the guys like Baker. Baker was really good his rookie year. And then all of a sudden he has a head coaching change and offensive and he takes a big dip. Right. And then Sam Darnold's never had any continuity. He's never had any kind of development where he can just kind of stay with the consistency and things like that. Josh Rosen, obviously the same thing. He's already on his third organization, basically. But, you know, Josh, and to a lesser extent, Lamar. Lamar had a changeover in offensive coordinator, but he's had pretty much the same kind of thing where organizations that invested in them and structured their organization around them and built and said, what are his strengths that we can build off of? And really the player development side of the Bills, he's had the same offensive coordinator for three years. That's helped him a lot. Let's, you know, not forget that, you know, when things break down, if you're comfortable and, and you're familiar, you know what's going on, you have a lot more confidence in making the right decision. Three straight years offensive coordinator, three straight years, same head coach who knows the routine and he knows exactly what he's doing. So that helps for sure. Ken Dorsey's helped him. But look, got to give Josh Allen a lot of credit. The kid works his tail off. He works out with Jordan Palmer and Sam Darnold and a bunch of quarterbacks in the offseason in, in California. I mean, this kid goes to the lengths of, like, you know how you guys, you know how when you see, like, on video games, they put all those dots on everybody to do the simulations? Yep. That's what Josh did to go through his throwing mechanics to figure oh, out wow. some different things he was doing wrong to simulate himself. Like, that's the lengths that he's gone to to figure it out. And then really it's just a lot of this, which is him understanding. I don't have to be the best player on the field, every single play to help my team win. I think that was what he had to cut out. Now he knows I have a good team around me. I'll just be patient, rely on them. And these things will come. I was going to say, that seems like something, the maturity hasn't just taken place from the, like in the off season. It has been during this season that it's been visually different. I mean, we've joked about this a lot in the opening weekend of the season. The first play they cut to in the Bills game on uh, on NFL Red Zone was Josh Allen fumbling the ball forward as he tried something too heroic and a flip pass forward and it ends up getting yeah. picked off. And, and you would immediately think, oh, here we go. It's Josh Allen again. He hasn't recovered from the playoffs. And it has just been a marked change as he's put trust in, in particularly in obviously Cole Beasley and Stefan Diggs, who, who take a lot of the plaudits in that receiving core for the Bills. Um, is that something that you think is very difficult for a quarterback to adjust to? Of you know, We saw somebody like Brett Favre never got that out of his system. He always wanted to try and make that explosive play right until the end, whereas Josh Allen has just calmed down slightly. He has, but you know, I'll tell you, it's a great, <laughs> Oliver, it's a great example about Brett Favre. I always say this, as much as Josh has cut it out, he's going to have some of Brett Favre in him throughout his whole career. It's just who he is. He's going to have, he's going to try and make that play at some point. We're going to see that might happen this weekend. Again, last weekend, it happened kind of remember last week he had that fumble, you know, when he was getting tackled a little bit. Now that's more of somebody who did a great job of stripping. He wasn't trying to do too much, but he does have a lot of that in him. And I, and I think if Josh is the quarterback for the Buffalo bills for the next 15 years, we're going to be talking sometime every year over the next 15 years about, I can't believe he tried that, right? Because that's Josh Allen. That's just <laughs> yeah. who he is. But you're going to get so many of the great plays that make up for the for the poor ones when he does that. And it's not going to be 10 of them a game. It's going to be a couple here or there. And he does have a guy like Stefan Diggs who's just transformed this offense. And he's been able to do that. Is it hard to adjust? I think it is. You know what I think is hard to do? I think for all of us in all of our lives, it's, how, it's hard sometimes to be self-aware. It's hard to really be introspective and say, what am I bad at? What do I need to improve at? And I always say, like, look, Tiger Woods has a swing coach, right? Because mm-hmm. even as he's Tiger Woods, but he's got somebody he's got to tell him, let's work on this. Let's work on that. And he has to be accepting of being able to do that. In radio, like, I, I listen to my stuff all the time. I just said, to my, I'm 47 years old. I just said to my wife last week, I said, I think I'm 
I'm, I'm actually kind of in a spot where I'm kind of doing the best work I've done in a long time because of this, this, and this, because other things I maybe haven't gone my way. I think you have to be very introspective and willing to be coached too. Absolutely. Uh, listening to your own stuff on radio, that's just narcissism, Sal. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I know. I should know. Um, Back on the game. So the weather report has been a big thing spoken about in the week with Lamar Jackson's coming out and saying he doesn't want to see snow because I don't think he's ever played in snow. Do we know what the weather report's going to be for the weekend? I do. In fact, my I'm the, this is my seventh year as the Bills sideline reporter. Guys, I will tell you, I have become the best meteorologist you'll ever meet because I have to worry about the weather every week <laughs> in all these games. I'm I'm always checking like 14 days before. I got what I literally I'm texting the weathermen here locally, like what's going on. Tell me. So here's the thing. Like I think there's this big romanticism that comes with Buffalo weather this time of year, right? I mean, oh my God, blizzard and snow and wind and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be cold. It's going to be about 29, 30 degrees. That's pretty cold. It's not sub-zero. There's going to be some snow, lake effect here in Buffalo. We get that. It comes off the lake. It can kind of spur up on you. And when it does, it gets a little heavy at times. But most of the forecasts are saying, like, unless something really kind of changes that we're not sure of, which can't happen here, it's probably looking at, like, an, an okay, decent, like, snow, like, falling, but nothing heavy, maybe one to two inches throughout the game, which isn't a ton necessarily. And I think the one thing that is tricky, though, is the wind. Um, yeah. It could be it could be 10 to 15, maybe – maybe up to 20, it's 25 miles an hour, depending on some of the wind um, indications that we're getting here. And I think oh, that wow. might be, you know, the biggest factor here. So, so we'll see. And by the way, the way the stadium is built, you see the stadium behind me, by the way. Yeah. So where I would be sitting, so the, the upper deck is actually in the, um, is at ground level. When you walk into the Bill Stadium, you go down underneath. Okay. So the, yeah. the stadium is built into the ground. So when the wind comes over, it comes down, it swirls. So that's ah. what makes those swirling winds that you always hear about at our stadium yeah. because the wind actually goes down and then swirls around because the stadium is built inside the ground. That would be a nightmare wow. to kick on, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. it's incredible. With a with a rock-solid ball as well in minus 43 right. wind chill. Yeah, yeah that's, that's going to be absolutely a brute. footbreaker, that, isn't it? By the way, yeah, I should I should have used the Celsius maybe. I don't know, but it's Fahrenheit, 30 degrees. Wait, wait, yes, yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, no. in, in Celsius, I think that is below zero Celsius. That's, that's right, that's right. Four or five, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I still I don't want right. to be out in it. I'd rather rather you than me up on that, sit down on the yeah, sideline de dealing with that. <laughs> hey, and, and, let me, and let me say this about the snow. Like it, it, to, to say that, though, for Lamar is interesting. It kind of shows that it's already in their head. Yeah. Right. Like there is something about playing in Buffalo. And I've always said the biggest, the biggest advantage the Bills have of playing in Buffalo isn't the weather itself. It's thinking about the weather. It's mm. people thinking about and Oh my God, I'm going to go up there and what's it going to be like. But I also tell you, if it gets a little slick out there, it's, it's not the snow, it's, it's the turf and it's the footing and things like that, that I think a guy like Lamar would have to deal with. I was going to say, if it's a lot of snow, that isn't that detrimental more to the Bills because you know, they're a better passing offense than the yeah. Ravens are. You you want to get the aerial attack going for the Bills, whereas the Ravens want to keep it on the ground. Their run game is how they're going to win 100%. games. So if it's a little bit of snow and it's slippy, that's a nightmare. If it's a lot of snow, both teams are going to have to run it out, and you'd fancy the Ravens in that situation. Yes, I would. And, of course, yes. And here's the other thing. The Bills, I mean, you know, we could talk all we want about Buffalo and playing tough and in the snow, but this is a team that spreads the field and throws the ball and their best games have been in warm weather and domes. Mm. They have not played all that well. They haven't put up a lot of points. We've had a couple of poor weather games here in Buffalo this year. Kansas city was one new England here was another one where they didn't put up very good offensive numbers. And, and yeah, absolutely. You want to have pristine conditions. So if it gets like that, that favors the Ravens from the standpoint of 
that's the kind of game they're built for. But I do at least think that if you have to throw in that win, I would trust Josh Allen more than I would Lamar Jackson and something yep. like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially yeah, with the power in the arm. And accuracy. The, the two yep. things you need in that situation, he has both of them in droves. Right. What about um, Leslie Frazier in the defense? Uh, I guess comparable quarterbacks that you faced earlier in the year, a lot of people will look a little bit at the Kyler Murray situation and how actually the Bills were one of the first teams I thought that really slowed down Kyler Murray's ground game in terms of how he likes to roll out. And they p- perfectly filled the passing lane, not over committing to either run or pass and kind of making him make his own decisions and cause problems. But Yeah, and they, they did the same thing to, to Russell Wilson earlier this year as well. So... Is this a defense that's actually well-equipped to deal with a scrambling quarterback and nullify what Lamar can do, at least in those pass-run situations? How do you deal with the the option runs that the Ravens love to run as well, though? So the overall run game is going to be a problem for the Bills because the Bills have not been a good run defense. And it's not just Lamar, obviously. J.K. Dobbins Mm -hmm. and Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards, obviously. I mean, those guys are going to be a handful. And I think that's what scares Bills fans the most. It's not just Lamar. I'll get to him in a second, but... The overall run game and how they run it, the Bills have the Bills have not been great at stopping the run this year that much. And I think that's what really scares the, the Colts ran against them too. But specifically on Lamar, you actually can go back last year, guys. The Bills played the Ravens last year, early December, and the Bills held Lamar to one of his lowest totals of the year. Only 40 yards rushing the whole game, wow. only 145 yards passing. And what they did in that game, Leslie Frazier, you're right. And let's remember, Sean McDermott, head coach, defensive guy, right? And he came from Carolina. You know, he, he, he knows his defense. And what the Bills did in that game was what you're taught a lot of times when you're younger. I, I coached high school football at the low, at lower levels when I, w- when I was not doing radio. That's what I was doing. And when you play an option team, a lot of times at that level, you're taught slow play it. For, you know, string it out, string it out, string them out, and then your reinforcements will arrive. Can't do that against a guy like Lamar. The more you string him out, the more time he has to make a move, to make you know something happen where he's yeah. going to leave you in the dust. What the Bills did in that game last year was – they attacked. They just went after him, and they forced him into making a decision on where he had to go. They actually said, okay, hey, I might miss you, but at least I'm going to force you somewhere, and you're not going to have time to think about what you want to do. And, hey, maybe I'll also force you into making a really bad choice. And that's really kind of what they did. They did a great job on him. I think the Bills are very well equipped because they're very well coached. They're disciplined. They're going to be coached up for this game. The problem is – you can have you can be coached up all you want. If Lamar Jackson makes you miss one time, he's in the end zone on a sixty yard run. And there's nothing you can do against that. As we saw against the Titans. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. You mentioned Sal, you mentioned coaches. Are you worried about Brian Dable moving on next year? I know it's early to think about that. It's more of an off season chat, but I, as I sit here today, I think he'll be the head coach of the uh, LA Chargers next year. I think oh, that. Okay. Um, oh. Yeah, your your listeners and viewers might not know, but um, the Chargers general manager and Brian Dable both went to high school here together in Buffalo. Oh, so, wow. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, so the, you know that's an interesting nugget. And let's think about it. Justin Herbert's very much like Josh Allen. Yeah. Uh, they have a very good roster. And if you're looking at what Brian did with Josh and knowing I got a very similar quarterback, um, uh, I'm sorry, you, you, know, you, you would probably say, this is something I want him to do with Justin, right? And be able to elevate his game as well. Yeah. So I, I'll say that now. He who who knows what's gonna happen. I personally, obviously, I wouldn't be worried about it myself. I'd be thrilled for Ryan Dable. This is an amazing opportunity. He's earned it, he's deserved it. The question, obviously, then is you know, what happens with Josh Allen? Does he regress? Mm-hmm. And I think we're to a point now where you can trust Josh is a special player. I think Josh can transcend a lot of you know what's going on and he can make up for things, but certainly you'd You'd want to have that continuity continue, and if it's not, there's going to be some question marks. But, guys, if Brian Dable leaves, 
the Bills offensive coordinator job immediately becomes the top offensive coordinator job in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Because think about it. You would have a chance to work with Josh Allen, a ready-made offense that just scored 31 points a game that is gearing up for a a long playoff run here, working under Sean McDermott and probably getting a head coaching job yourself in the next couple of years. There are going to be people, highly qualified people, who are beating down the door to get that job if Brian Dable leaves. So I would love to see Brian Dable stay selfishly, but I'm thrilled for him if he gets the opportunity. But I have no doubt the Bills are very well prepared. And Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have a roster of people that they know that they can turn to if he leaves or who they might hire. Yeah, that offensive coordinator job is going to be fire. Sal, I know we have to let you go. Can I just ask one last quick one? It's very cheesy and very nice. Um, How good was it to have fans back in for the playoff game last week? I mean, how, how great is that at least? First time they're back in the stands this year. They get to see Diggs and Allen do their thing. They get to see the victory. I mean, that's a beautiful moment for, for every Bills fan everywhere, isn't it? So, you know, I'm on the pregame show last week, and they throw it to me, and I'm in the radio booth. And it was right after uh, the, the gates had opened, kind of. Now, we only have 6,700 people, okay? It's not 67,000. It's not 70,000. But they're also not allowing – the upper decks are not open. So it's really – out of seven. 70,000 seats really only 50,000 of them is where they're packed into the lower bowl there if you will mm. so it's not like they're spread out as much you can actually you, you probably saw it probably looked look more more than 6,700 even on tv I did. people so they throw it to me pregame and I, I'm not gonna be embarrassed to say guys I I was emotional I I to see people finally get their chance to see their team it, it makes cool, a difference it's, to the broadcast as well it's just this is this is us this is Buffalo you know we're not New York we're not Chicago we're not LA you know, it's all right, Sal. You can in, cry on our podcast. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> we live and die by the Buffalo Bills here and the Buffalo Sabres hockey. Right? These our sports teams are are what carry us through. And, and and in this particular year, that everything that happened to have this team and the connection that they gave the fans to allow them to kind of keep their mind off things was amazing. And then finally to have these fans go see that team when they ran out of that tunnel together and just to hear people. It, it, it was something it really was and i'm saying this as a buffalo kid i mean i grew up here i know what it's That's like awesome. so yeah thank you for asking me because it's it's amazing it's great it's going to be another 6700 this week um you know everybody's been great about it by the way you have to get tested uh within uh, they have they have it set up through the team if you get the ticket you get tested you have to bring your negative test to the game with your ticket to get in it's very well done it's very orderly i, I applaud the bills on how they've gone about this but it was it was really special having those people back Awesome, man. That's very cool. Sal Capaccio at Sal Sports on Twitter, uh, Buffalo Bills sideline and beat reporter and just an all-round great guy. Really appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for having a chat with us today. Yeah, you know, hey, man, I uh, I have a sneaky feeling we could be in London again next year. So I don't know. It's been a long time. 2015 since the last time the Bills were there. I will tell you this. I believe from what we've been told, they were supposed to play the Chiefs um, in Mexico, not the Chiefs, the Cardinals in Mexico City this year. They would have had an international game, but because of the pandemic, they mm. had no international games, as you guys know. Yeah, I have a sneaky feeling Bills in London, maybe even against the Jags again next year, since it's been, it'll be seven years since the last time they went, and most teams have done it since then. Okay, well, when you get that ring from winning the Super Bowl this year, you can come and show it off in London, <laughs> and we can have a beer and have a look at it, man. All right, guys, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Cheers, Sal. Thanks a lot, buddy. Wicked.
Big thanks to Sal for joining us there. Delighted to say, though, that we are moving swiftly onwards with our second guest of the podcast. Uh, many of you will know him from Sky Sports NFL as one of the lead analysts on the playoffs coming up, obviously. This weekend was on it last weekend and readily involved in everything going on throughout the season with Sky Sports NFL. He is, of course, mixing that up with being the special teams coordinator of the Hamilton Tiger Cats and, of course, his own show as well that he puts out on his Twitter feed, Coffee with the Coach course it's the one and only jeff reinbold joining us here um man how firstly how have you been this year with the the cfl obviously not playing has that been something that you've kind of missed because every so often on the sky sports broadcast i see a little bit of coach reinbold coming out just when the officials are being too involved when there are some drops and some you know some lackluster play from some of these guys out there you just see a little bit of coach jeff getting a little frustrated like he hasn't had that release this season yet well, you know, this is the first time, man. I, 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 I've, when you said that, I kind of dawned on me. This is the first time since I was twelve years old that I didn't that I haven't had a football season. Wow. I mean, that's wow. a that's that's a long wow. time, man. And that's a, you know, and it's really a shame because, um, you know, the Canadian game is such a great game. It's a professional league. It's the oldest oldest professional sports league in the world. And, um, you know, the government just we couldn't get it done to to uh, get the kind of support that we needed to be able to have a season. So, um, you know, it's for the first time. The only other time it's ever happened was they took one year off during World War One. Oh, wow. that's, that's a lot of years and a lot of history of football. And, and it just reflects, I think, again, on how fortunate we are as NFL fans that the that the NFL did all the work that it did to be able to deliver a product for 17 straight weeks and mm. now the playoffs. I mean, you know, guys, they tested, you can believe this. They tested over 8,000 COVID tests a day. Oh, wow. the season. And they spent over a hundred million dollars, you know, trying to, to make sure that the protocols were all safe and the players were safe and the coaches were safe and, I mean, it's an unbelievable thing that they were able to do, and I and I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a shill for the for, for the league, you know, league <laughs> office, but I will tell you that from the commissioner on down, they've done an amazing job. Dude, I can't even get a test on the outskirts of London, so eight thousand tests a day seems pretty <laughs> impressive at this point. I've got to give them some credit on that one. Are you, are you surprised that we got to this point of the season? I mean, we are able to talk about playoffs. We've had the first round of the playoffs. We had like an under over on our podcast of of when six the season could get cancelled and yeah back at the beginning of the season we were looking at like six and a half weeks and i was the only one convinced it was going to happen you know it, it's it's really a combination of a lot of things a lot of hard work a lot of money and then some luck too and you know i think that there were spots along the way where it could have gone sideways but there was an awful lot of cooperation i think between the coaches and the players and the teams with what was going on because if you think about it when you're the Saints and you have your entire running back room lost or, you know, you lose all your quarterbacks and, we, you know, you go out there like Denver did with a guy who hasn't played quarterback, I think, since he was in college. Mm. Um, you know, there would have been a lot of outcry and, you know, a lot of things that, you know, they could have complained about and said, you know, it's unfair. And, you know, but people people hung together and people had to had a greater goal and and i think that's you know again a tremendous accomplishment by you know you got to understand it's 32 teams a highly competitive 
you know, they're owned by billionaires who are highly competitive, coached by highly competitive coaches and played by highly competitive players. And still everybody was able to, you know, hang together and get this thing done. On that Denver thing, not that I'm trying to be controversial, do you reckon if it had been, say, a Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City quarterback room that had been knocked out, do we reckon we would have seen a postponement or a change of schedule as opposed to the lowly Broncos who weren't really competing for much? You know, I don't know because, you know, you go the other direction, you know, the Saints are playing for seeding late in the year. That's true. And they lose lose every one of their running backs and they got to take Ty Montgomery, who has played a little bit of running back in his NFL career, but he, he's a receiver by trade and Taysom Hill, who's the backup quarterback. And that's all the running backs they are, they're able to dress that day. So, you know, I think that's a legitimate question, but thank goodness it didn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, looking at what happened with Cleveland in the playoffs, I mean, they lose their head coach, their left guard. Their- yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yep. I mean, that brings me nicely on to a topic that we've been waiting to cover all day today because Jazz is a Steelers fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver room at this point is writing checks that, frankly, they weren't, their asses weren't able to cash in the, uh, in the playoffs. With Juju Smith-Schuster, with his TikTok dancing at midfield, with his comments before the playoff game to the Cleveland Browns, when you look at that, not just as a fan, but as a coach... Do you have that kind of, what are you doing? Because we've had well, players tell us that <laughs> there's like a 5% difference between individual players in the NFL and it's the, the really small things that make a difference. And that seems to make a difference and light a fire in people. I, I said to Neil, um, when when uh, Juju did that, I, I said, what is it? You go to Pittsburgh and you become the number one receiver and you automatically turn into a knucklehead? I mean, <laughs> well, the last like, couple have been that way, haven't they? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just like amazing. And I've met that kid. He's a great kid, you know. And um, But, man, I don't know. And then after the game, Chase Claypool pops off. Yeah. Right? Why? And I'm like, does somebody over there got to get these guys right? Because <laughs> what's the point, man? All it does is make you look like, like you're – the little kid that just got his toy taken away. Yeah. Right. And he played a great game and he's a great player as has a chance to be, I think one of a really, really good players in this league for 10 or 15 years. And you know, geez, oh man, just let it go, man. <laughs> Give the props where they belong. And so I popped off a little bit the other night on my, on the podcast or my little thing. I do coffee with the coach. And I was like, Hey dude, let me tell you something. I hope you pick out a nice, comfortable place on the sofa next week so you can watch those Browns and, you know, have a drink or two while you're there because you ain't got to worry about going to practice tomorrow. You know? Yeah, but he's going to drink and he's going to have a, a couple of tweets while he's doing it and maybe send an oh, Instagram yeah. video. <laughs> That's always the good yeah, I mean, as well. you know, there'll be a TikTok dance at halftime that visualizes how much he dislikes the Cleveland Browns. I mean, <laughs> interpretive dance. Yeah. Think before you tweet. Yeah, <laughs> always and never. Yep. <laughs> Is that why you do it in all caps so you can tell after a couple of drinks exactly no, what you're I writing? You guys, are, you guys, man, I'm telling you, I can't hardly see. Like I got one eye that I can barely see out of. So if I don't write it, first of all, my spelling is atrocious to start. And so if I couldn't, if I can't read it, then I have no way of knowing whether it's you know brutally spelled or not. So yeah. I always use caps for that reason. Fair. 
Fair. I mean, it must be difficult as as somebody that has to kind of bring through these these young men, these young athletes to prepare them for the realities of like a professional sports career when there are so many available outlets for them to make fools of themselves on. I mean, and obviously things like that, you know, the podcasting world is getting more and more casual with the way that podcasts are done, which means that players get a little more chatty and then they say the wrong things. They've got their own Instagram live stuff. I mean, trying to keep a lid on all of these egos and attitudes when there's such a competitive nature for a coaching staff, let alone as an agent or a manager of these guys must be an absolute nightmare to see just headline after headline every single week. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's added another dimension into the evaluation process when you look at a player. I mean, you have to go in and you have to look at, you know, his, you know, look at his, and this is some of the work that they do now in scouting. They'll take your Twitter account. They'll take your Facebook account or whatever you use and they'll go through it and they'll, you know, look for things that are what they call red flags. And if there's red flags, you know, I've seen guys get graded down for that in, in, in the, in the grading process, because you're going to get enough challenges just by the nature of professional sport. When all of a sudden you take kids that are 24, 25 years old and they're instant millionaires and everybody around them's enabling them and trying to tell them how wonderful they are. And, you know, yada, 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 yada. Well, if, if you, if you take a guy that's been a problem when he, when he wasn't making money, putting money in his pocket isn't going to take the problem away. Yeah. You know? And you've so, got that idea of building. Each player wants to build their own brand as well, which has become a bigger and bigger thing in the last few years because there's the idea of get your money in the NFL with your contracts, but also make sure you're able to get your money after the game as well. Yeah, it, it's, it's changed the entire dynamic and it's made the job harder. I'm talking about coaching. Yeah. Um, you know, people say people say kids have changed. Kids haven't changed. The way kids are raised and the opportunities that are out there for kids now, that's what's changed. And so you have to understand the, the battlefield you're playing on. Fair. Fair. Um, let's talk a little bit of playoffs because, right. I mean... Well, it's topical. Isn't it? <laughs> it's 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 coming up, I think, this weekend. So uh, we've just speaking, been speaking with um, Sal Capaccio, the Buffalo Bills sideline reporter, uh, talking about the build-up, obviously, to their game hosting the Ravens. When you look at this Ravens team and particularly their offense, their defense is solid as as anything, and it really stepped up, I think, against Tennessee Titans. But you look at that offense; is it a sustainable offense that can win, get past this Bills team, and win a Super Bowl? Do you? Do you really believe that Lamar and, and the Ravens' offense this year is better than the one we saw last year in his MVP season? Well, I mean, you look at historically, there have been teams that have been offensively deficient and won Super Bowls. You know, the Giants have been that way. The Denver Broncos were that way when Elway was just a, really a game manager at the end of his career. And um, Buccaneers were the, that way. The Ravens. The, yeah, the Ravens did that with Trent Dilfer. I mean, it's happened before. It's tougher and tougher to have it make it happen because there's more and more explosive offenses in the league where, where a team like that will struggle. And I think the Rams are in the same boat because the Rams, you're talking about two of the best defenses in football. And for those two teams to get deeper into the playoffs and maybe make a Super Bowl run and win it, their, their defenses are going to have to win it for them because the offenses are going to have to, you know, you look at both those offenses. Would you take Jared Goff? Would you take Lamar Jackson, third and nine, and he's got to make a throw 
to, uh, you know, to, to win the game. No, I wouldn't. I mean, there's, he's a, they're, they're about the fourth or fifth guy that I'd take out of this tournament, you know, to do that. So that's the concern. Can they do it? Yes, I think they can do it if they got to stay within a score. They can't get behind. They don't want it to turn into a shootout. They've got to give him things that he can do. They got to stay out of third and five plus. Um, and then he's going to have to make some plays on with his unbelievable athletic ability. Because, like even the last week against Tennessee, there were a couple plays he just he just took over and just made plays with his yep. ability. And that's what happens when you got guys that can do that. Now, the Rams, on the other hand, who are much the same kind of thing, they don't have that kind of athleticism at quarterback, so it's going to be even tougher for them, I think. I mean, I'm an Eagles fan, so at third and eight, I'd definitely take Lamar Jackson over Carson Wentz. <laughs> like, or Jalen Hurts. <laughs> yeah, anybody, please, quarterback, to come and help that franchise. Um, but the, the, the difference, I think, just on my personal opinion on this Ravens team is that the defense isn't exceptional like we've seen from you know those franchises that you mentioned that have won Super Bowls with great defenses and particularly you look at in more recent years the Buccaneers under Gruden and and the Ravens with Dilfer at quarterback they were exceptional defenses this is a, a solid defense and and that's where I think the the Ravens as, as you say in a league that's so much more offensively potent and favorite to the offenses in terms of a lot of the PI calls, a lot of the obviously hits on quarterbacks, etc. That's where the Ravens, Ravens seem like they're going to come unstuck this weekend on the road against Buffalo. Well, I think one of the things that you said is really, really true. If you look at this tournament right now, we're down to eight teams, right? And you look at the offenses on those eight teams. Green Bay is the leading scoring offense in the National Football League. Kansas City's got a track team at wide receiver. Buffalo's got outstanding talent around an outstanding quarterback. You know, uh, so, so you look at it, and even, even now what Drew Brees has, that he's got his full complement of weapons back, yep. there, there are four offenses in this tournament right now that, I mean, they can make any defense look average. Now, I, I think I probably value what the Ravens do maybe a little more than you do, but that's not to say they're not, they're no, I, I don't know if you're ever, the Rams might be as close to the 85 bears as you're going to get in this day and age. Right. And a lot of that hinges around, you know, guys that they really special players that they have Jalen Ramsey, who will travel probably 40% of the time with Devontae Adams. And when they go man to man, I'm telling you, I don't. I've watched his whole season this year, and there's not a guy out there, not Stephon Diggs, not you know uh, Hopkins, not any of them that when he's in man to man, they can shake him. Oh like, yeah, consist- he just shut down DK Metcalf like every time they played them. You know, I, I and again, see, I don't. I'm not a big PFF guy because I think it's all about you know I I got to see it myself, right? The eye test, yeah, yeah. So when I watch the Buffalo game. There were four times in the game where Diggs was one-on-one and the primary receiver, and in that, he caught one ball for four yards, and it was from a four-yard line, a touchdown in the end zone. That's, that's I mean, he took, you know, they wouldn't even look that way. 
So now you, what you can do defensively is you can load the deck and you get an extra player to play either in the rush or in coverage. Mm-hmm. Now, the only guy I've ever seen, ever seen, be that good at corner is Deion Sanders. Deion, could, you could just say, and that, you know, I, I know two guys, I have two friends that were head coaches on, of Deion, and they just said, the defense coordinator said, Deion, you take that side of the field. So they put him over there, and that was the end of that side of the field, and they just shoved their safety to the other side, and now you've got a numbers advantage. Unfortunately, his defense is taking on Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron against Aaron is the other key matchup, I guess, in this game, and Aaron Jones as well. Aaron against Aaron and Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what, man? That's a great point about Aaron Jones. I think he's the thing that, you know, everybody talks about Devontae and sh- should because – he and Diggs, to me, are now the two best. And I think Hopkins has kind of slid to the next level. Some of that's because of, you know, guys throwing him the ball in the scheme. Yeah. But I, I will tell you that, uh, man, you better you better make sure you got some athletic linebackers if you're going to try and match up with Aaron Jones because he really has true receiver skills out of the backfield. And, you know, I, I know Tanyan's – you know, Tanya's like a poor man's Kelsey, right? And, and, That's a good way of putting that. and they got, but the other guys they got are guys. But if Adams and, you know, Aaron Jones, they're the ones that make that offense go in addition to AR. But, you know, I think, too, the key thing in this is when you got as much pressure as they're going to get. Because did you guys see that Valdera, the tackle that they brought in to play? He played for uh, Indianapolis last week, and then, yep. you know, they, they needed the left tackle, so they brought him in. He was going to be the first guy to ever play for two different teams in the same playoffs. <laughs> he just got COVID-19 today. Oh, oh sugar. I so, didn't say that. Yeah, so that'll be really interesting to see how they deal with that. And I'll tell you what, Brandon Staley, when you watch him coach defense, he does a phenomenal job of if you got a cripple, if you got a guy that's not very good or is hurt a little bit or whatever – He's going to get his best pass rushers against that guy and make you block him, block one on one, and that's why they, you know, they 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 get a lot of pressure for a lot of reasons. But you know, some of it's athletes, some of it's coaching. Um, the pack, the Packers, bro. Think about this. What's who's the best team you've ever seen when a play breaks down of turning it into a positive play? To me, it to me it's the Packers because when Rodgers started in it. All of that came about when, you know, about well, 10 years ago when they had, um, oh, I can't think the white kid's name. Um, Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson, that's it. Jordy Nelson, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And it would be, Rodgers was running around, and all of a sudden he'd find Jordy Nelson 40 yards down the field. That He's going to need those kind of plays in this game because he's going to get pressured. But the only, the only like other play one as well that they had a few years ago for Darrow Cook on the sideline against the Cowboys. That he was running around, running around, and finds it. I mean, it was unbelievable right on the sideline. Yeah. The only other team that would come close to that is Mahomes and the Chiefs, you'd argue, because of Mahomes' maneuverability. Yeah. Yeah, with his improvisational skills. You know, and, you know, that's that's why those guys are so hard to defend because you can do everything right and they can still beat you. Yeah, because you can only cover someone for so long. Right. The play, play is seven or eight seconds. Good luck trying to keep up with Devontae Adams for that long. 
or Tyreek Hill for that matter as well. Yeah, you mentioned Tyreek Hill, uh, he'll, he'll run over and hand the baton off to Watkins, and then he'll run over and he'll yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like a track team. Yeah, I was, I was good. That's that's a good segue, Jeff. What do you think about the Browns' chances this weekend? I know there's there's always a chance, no matter how much of a mismatch it is. But where where do you see it? If you could kind of put a percentage on it, do you think where are they going to come down? Are they, well, they win this game? I think number one, if Petonio plays, I mean, think about you know that's a guy that's been a you know three-time Pro Bowler and the heart of your offensive line, um, and he doesn't play. As a matter of fact, then the backup gets hurt, and the next guy in didn't even the quarterback didn't even know his name because yeah. he got introduced to him before the game. So I mean. To have him back is really, really a plus for them. And, you know, where is Kansas City shown that they, you know, are a little bit deficient on defense? It's in their ability to stop the run, and particularly inside. Their best pass rusher, Chris Jones, is a defensive tackle, Mm -hmm. which means the strength of that offensive line in Cleveland is inside out. It's the center. It's the two guards. So he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be in there against good people. I think they got to be able to run the ball, which again people have done. I think Kansas City's like 16th in the league in run defense or something like that. Um, Baker can't make mistakes. He can't throw one to, you know, Tyran Matthew or Sorensen or somebody back there. And they got to you know hope that they get a break or two. I, Kansas City just like. <laughs> I said this today to somebody. Somebody asked me about, well, Kansas City's all had these like one seven straight, but they're six of them are one score games or some statistic. I said, you ever see a cat when it finds a mouse, right? And it knows the mouse can't get away from it and it can kill <laughs> the mouse whenever it wants to. Yeah. And it just kind of bats the mouse around and plays with it a little while. And then when it wants to kill it, it just kills it. And that's the way they have been to me over the last quarter of the season yeah the mouse never goes up by like 14 points and then blows it that's the <laughs> no that's a rat that's not a mouse <laughs> yeah my bad my bad yeah the rat's got a bit of fight in him at the beginning and then gets worn down all right um you talk about the inside run game of the browns it's it's my favorite thing to watch about the cleveland browns is is nick chubb they missed him so much when he was out they so lucky they've got Kareem Hunt that can come back in but I still feel that um in a, in a bit like Aaron Jones that Nick Chubb still goes under the radar I mean everybody that talks about the Browns talks about Baker or they talk about OBJ and now that OBJ's gone they talk about Jarvis Landry but Nick Chubb is the the workforce I mean he is to the Browns what King Henry is to the Tennessee Titans but he doesn't get half the recognition and I don't know if that's a good thing or it you know it takes the pressure off him a bit or if actually he deserves a lot more credit than people give him. I, I think he certainly does. And one of the reasons he doesn't get it is because he's not out there in the media talking about himself or, you know, bu- as you say, building his brand. Mm. I mean, you know, where's OJ, where, where's OBJ been for the, OJ, for the last eight weeks. And now all of a sudden, cause they're going to the divisional round, he's going to put a tweet out there. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, stop it. Will you please? <laughs> and, but you know, that's, that's, that's just different guys. And Chubb is, Chubb is, boy, I tell you, he is physical. And, you know, he, he's one of those backs that I really wonder what he could do 
if they just gave him 30 carries a game. Because as I watch him, the more he carries the ball, the better he gets. Yeah. But, you know, they're, I understand they got him on a pitch count. They don't, you know, they got two backs, use them both, and, and each of them bring a little bit different things. But I thought, I thought, honestly, the Steelers in the, in the two games previous, I thought the Steelers won the line of scrimmage in the two games previous. In this game, it wasn't close. I mean, they knocked Pittsburgh off the ball. Thanks for rebringing that game up again. I just yeah, I think we... having a fourteen nil lead after about five minutes of the game usually helps that as well. Yeah, and 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 you know, the thing that was surprising to me when that was going on was, you know, that the guys that you would have thought would be the ones to, you know, kind of rally the troops a little bit, Ben, the older, the veteran players, yeah, because you know. In, in this day and age, 14 points in the first eight minutes or six minutes or whatever it was, that's not the end of the game, right? And But Pittsburgh kind of walked around like they were in a daze until it got to be close in the fourth quarter. And then it was like, oh, God, we might be able to come back and win this thing, which was really surprising to me. I thought they were in a, like in a funk the whole night. What yeah, I don't think it helped having the uh, – sorry, David. I don't think it helped having rested Pouncey and Ben – and TJ and Cameron the week before. If anything, I think they yeah. should have had it. So they went out to kill the Browns. And then if they played them again, well, great. We just beat them and heavily ruined the momentum going into the playoffs. And we've on a high, having lost how many games they had done before. So I I think that didn't help it either. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's such a tough call because I've been down that road both ways and, you know, won a division. And then all of a sudden you're in the division final and, you know, there's rust on you. There's yeah. you're just you're not you don't have an edge. You know, like when you're playing, you you got an edge. Now I can understand why Mike would do it because they basically lost their bye week this year. Yeah, and those older players are nicked up and they're tired and you know. But I don't know. I I, I don't know because to go out and play like they did was shocking to me. Yeah. It was quite funny as well, though, at times. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of somebody that's not a Steelers fan who's rooting for the Browns, it was it was enjoyable. I mean, it was a great story as well, Jazz. I think you could admit that, that it's for Cleveland to get their first playoff win in like 25 years against the the, the nemesis of the, of the NFC, AFC North. It's, it's a great I story. I stayed up that late and I've watched the first two <laughs> offensive series. I was not in a good mood. Good story or not. It's not, it's not okay. <laughs> all right, all right. I mean, Jeff had to stay up all that that time as well. I mean, Jeff finished the game out, to be honest, Jazz. So you only half asked it at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, how how would it how did it feel as a, a special teams coach seeing their special teams coach take the reins and get a win somehow? I've been I've been fighting for I've been fighting for justice for years. Brilliant. <laughs> 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 I'll tell you, I, you know what. I thought it was a good move, and I'll tell you why. Because, um, and and people said, well, he took the reins when you know when Zim had his eye thing. And all. the special teams coach is the only guy on the staff that during the game actually follows the entire flow of the game. He has to, and the offense and defensive coaches have other things that they need to do. When the offense comes off the field. The coordinator's got to get with his coaches. They got to talk about the series. They got to make adjustments. And then the individual coaches go to their groups. Well, the special teams coach only has one play that he coaches, right? And then he then it's his he's always a thought, you know, 
staying ahead on, okay, now this situation, we need to punt a ball in. We need, you know, all the different scenarios that go on in a game. So he's the best equipped to do that. Plus, who would you give it to? If you gave it to uh, the offensive coordinator, Van Pelt, I mean, he's, he's never called plays in a game before. And now he's got to do the head coach stuff and call plays. So um, I thought it was, I thought it was a good move. And, you know, again, hopefully people will start to realize there was a piece written and I don't normally what, what guys write sometimes I don't even, I just, you know, use it to feather my bird cage, but um, or put in the bottom <laughs> of my bird cage. But I, there was an article by pro in pro football talk. And Mike Florio said, the reason that you should hire an offensive coach is if if you hire a defensive guy and you have success in three years, the offensive coordinator will want to leave. And I thought to myself, what is that logic? And, yeah. you know, and he was and he took a shot at a couple guys that, number one, they're my friends. But number two, you know, so you don't hire Wink Martindale to be a head coach because you've got a mullet. I mean. What 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 yeah. if, where are we where are we living right what what you don't want your coaches you you don't want to be successful is that is that yeah, a real I mean, quote that was written down bro I I reacted to it on Twitter oh my like goodness I, I said I said I I can't follow this line of thinking oh this right? was the one, yeah this was the one where you were like what are you talking about you put yourself in the best position to win yeah right you got to win now yeah right Christ Almighty who's three years three years is, you might all like, get fired in three years if you do a bad job like yeah how many guys how many guys have gotten fired in two yeah right? or you better win so that you can see three years yeah it's wild that it, what ridiculous. what okay but what should stop you from getting hired are we talking like you know giant face tattoo is that unacceptable or like what are we talking <laughs> let me tell you something man in the in the in pro sports now the number one thing is you better win, right? Because you can look. I mean, it's not a freaking beauty contest. Mm-hmm. And that's what people, that's sometimes that's what happens. And, you know, like perception is so damaging. And you look at Eric Bieniemy, and, and there's a perfect example. He's the running back coach. That was his title previously, right? And then he was, he was offensive coordinator and running back coach. Well, the knock then became, or the reason not to hire Eric was because he didn't communicate with the quarterback between series, right? How, how can he be the, how can he be the head coach? Right. Yeah. So he, Matt Nagy gets hired before he does. Right. Because quote, he was the quarterback coach yeah. in Kansas city. Now I'm not anti Matt Nagy. I'm just saying, well, the jury's out there. He's got, he's going to have to win next year. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Right. You, the role of the head coach is so immense compared to what an offensive or defensive coordinator's job is that if you're hiring a guy because he was a great coordinator, you better be hiring him because he's got great leadership skills, organization, football knowledge, can put a staff together, handles pressure well, all that stuff, as opposed to, you know, how many points did his offense score? But yeah. obviously when, when you look at, and this I think is really something that people don't talk about, but if you look at the number of guys that are fired within two years or three years, something's wrong, right? And I would say 
it's probably the hiring process that's wrong, right? Okay. So it's a problem with the franchise rather than with the coach themselves. Well, I, I think I think with the process, right? Okay. So, for example, you're going to go out and hire a guy, and there's no general manager in place. Okay. Now you've set yourself up for a problem right away, because how how are you going to get a guy that you, you know can function with you know in lockstep? If you look at the good organizations, right? And if you look at the organizations that have turned it around, it's because they there's like a single thought process throughout the organization. Buffalo was a bad football team, and all of a sudden, in four years, they've gone to the playoffs three times. And they were awful, mm-hmm. right? But Brandon Bean and a defensive coach, oh, my God, what's he know about scoring points, Right. <laughs> He goes in there, and let me tell you something. Sean McDermott wasn't on anybody's radar, right? He doesn't have – he didn't have a break – he's not a handsome guy. He didn't have a great profile. Doesn't – you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? Doesn't look good on the horse, but he can sure lead the cavalry. So, you know, that's – but they're on the same page. There's 100% buy-in in the organization. Rams, same way, Right? Now you look at the some other organizations that continually go through coaches. Okay, I, I, I tell you, I know right now. The the thing is set up for you to for you to be competitive. And if you're not competitive, then there's something really flawed inside your organization, whether it's evaluation of talent, you know, salary cap, cult, you know, that word that everybody uses now, culture. Culture. Yeah. Because from a schematic standpoint, there's not that much difference between everybody in the game. And you get to that level of football, you're not going to – like you may have some nice wrinkles, right? But you don't win games with wrinkles. You win games with solid football. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so to think you're going to hire some whiz guy to come in and, and uh, you know, you're going to fool everybody in the league, it don't work that way. So I think Eagles... you nailed on the head, though, isn't it? It's more down to the organization. So go back to Matt Nagy. I also don't think he's a bad coach. I think he's been dealt a bit of a poor hand because he was cornered into, well, not cornered. He already had Mitch Trubisky on the roster at that point, who hasn't really shown a great deal apart from maybe four games this year. So I think sometimes it's unfair to look at the coaches and blame it on them. So at that sort of stage, would you then look more towards the GM and the owner? Well, I, who, you know, it's, it's the same thing that Doug Peterson went through in Philadelphia. Who yeah. drafted the players? Yeah. Who drafted them? Who drafted Jalen Rager in front of Jordan Jefferson? Yeah. <laughs> Who drafted, you know, I mean, I, and I could go through, I could go through that roster. Who let the roster get old? Who gave the hundred and who gave the hundred and whatever million dollar quarterback? I mean, the contract to the quarterback. Yeah. Right. Doug didn't do that. Right. So, you know, but Doug's, Doug's on the street right now. I assume right. he had a say in those big decisions, though. He was a powerful, quite a powerful head coach. He wasn't just a. But he wouldn't have the I'm final sure, say. I'm sure he had a say, but when when you know the structure of like inside the Eagles, the scouts didn't want to take Rager. They wanted Jefferson, right? But 
not didn't work out that way. And oh, I, and you're killing to... Ollie, by the way, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, he's, is... he's just he's just shaking his head. I was there. screaming at my TV on draft night, like, just take him. He's fallen. <laughs> he's fallen to us. Just take him. And then they still take Rager. And you're like, what? What is going on there? Yeah. The other good one with that, do you think, was uh, they took JJ Ortega Whiteside instead of DK Metcalf? Yeah, don't no, I mean, yeah. And I, now that one. I mean, if you, you know, you scratch your head on a little bit, but DK Metcalf was not a particularly productive college player, but you know, neither was AJ Brown, and they were on the same team. And I'd have, I'd take both of them if I could get them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But there's just, I mean. There's just too many misses there to say, okay, well, it's because, you know, the head coach lost his locker room or had a fractured relationship with the quarterback or, yeah. I mean, you set, you set him up, you set him up for a fractured relationship when you draft the Jalen Hurts in the second round, yeah. because now you've got a, you've got a potential situation on your hands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the reports coming out of Philly, weren't they saying that Doug Peterson went in to see, um, the owner Jeffrey Laurie and said that this is who I want my coaching staff to be, and Jeffrey Laurie said, "No, no, we want you to have these, 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 and these, and these." And Doug was like, "Well, I'm not going to do that, so I'll just, we'll just call it a day." Because I think in some ways, if you, you're the head coach, you've been told who your coordinators are going to be. You're on a short leash anyway. Oh yeah, four losses and you're going to be gone. So why wait until it's got mid-season and some of the openings are a bit less there? Why not take advantage of it now when all the openings are still vacant? You're right. And you know what? There's the, it's even deeper than I can't tell you about it, but it's it's even deeper than that because they knew the the guys on that staff knew this was coming before. Let me plug this thing in, guys. I'm oh, really? Know. Yeah. They knew that there were going to be changes. Hang on one sec. When you're in a professional football organization, all right, first of all, you're going to have a roster of about 65 guys that's 65 alpha males with 65 agendas, 65 sets of baggage, uh, you know, all, all of that you're dealing with that. Then you got 25 coaches, right. And all of them, you know, are are getting paid extremely well. There's only, you know, like there's only 32 tight end coaches in the national football league, only 32 special teams coaches in the national football. Those jobs are hard to get. And guys hang on to them and do anything to keep them right Mm -hmm. now. Imagine what the head coaching thing is like, because you got one of 32 in the world and those are really well-paying jobs. Okay. And they're powerful and ego and all that other stuff. So you got to keep all of this together. Plus the scouting staff, which is trying to get in, you know, they're, they're always looking for their next job and the general manager who wants it to be all about him typically and the owner who wants to, you know, I mean, it's, it is a, I mean, you talk about a study in difficult management. I mean, think about it. Yeah. That's what, I don't know that's how they what, did it. That's what makes what New England has been able to do even more incredible to me. Because to be able to sustain it the way the rules are in the league, to be able to manage all of that and, you know, Coach Vermeil told me that the hardest year you ever have in coaching is the year after you win a championship. You know, he won the Super Bowl with the Rams. And then, I mean, it's because everybody wants to get paid. Everybody wants credit. Everybody wants to take their vows. Everybody wants to be on a late night talk show. Everybody wants a commercial, you know. So, so it's difficult. It's a difficult task. 
I mean, in that sense, you look up the Patriots and obviously it's kind of Belichick runs the show or Kraft runs the show and that's the only dynamic. And it seems in the last few years that, and, and you mentioned this role a number of times in that, the GM. It, it feels like the GM has become a more prominent role in like the last 10 years than it ever was kind of when I was getting into American football. And maybe that's my naivety of like the early 2000s of not noticing it as much and looking more at the field and off the field stuff. But the the role and the importance of the GM seems more important than ever at this point. Whereas the Patriots have had sustained quality with a guy that can basically do both roles in Bill Belichick, knows exactly what he wants to do and has the support of the owner. So at that point, wouldn't it be better for franchises if they've got the right coach in charge to take away that middleman role to kind of keep the peace and uh, and keep the backroom stuff and an easier place to operate in because you don't have as many voices chirping in to keep everyone happy. Well, yes and no. And I say <laughs> yes in that, you know, the more, the more miles to feed, the more miles to hear, the harder it is. Right. And you're right about the, the image or the, uh, excuse me, the, status i guess of general managers today is much higher than it's ever been ever been now do i think it's a position that you need yeah i do because the enormity of being a head coach is enough and the other thing is you it's really hard like for example ali if, if you were playing for us and your con <laughs> your contract was up right and now you're you're about ready to go into free agency well, you got to come into my office and I got to tell you, no, Ollie, you're not worth that much money. Right. It's a fair and point. Then, <laughs> and then, and then, you know, immediately that sets up that friction. Right. And yeah. you know, that, that the head coach doesn't need. And that's why, see, again, that's where Belichick, I think when you look at all those guys, Dimitrov and, and uh, Scott Pioli and all those really good personnel guys that left, that eventually takes its toll. And you look at their draft in the last four or five years, and it hasn't been very been good. Great. Yeah. And it's tough enough when you're drafting at the bottom, but it's when it's when you're missing on guys, you know, like their their receivers. You look at their mm -hmm. receiving thing. Well, eventually it it catches up to you because you can't keep losing quality people all the time, you know? So so it's basically, tough. It's, I mean, it's a hard business. You need the GM to be like the the head coach's personal hitman, if you will. Like, keep everybody happy a little bit, do the dirty work to keep the take keep the blood off the coach's shirt, and then let him just carry on doing running the show how he needs personnel to be and taking the advice when he needs it. Well, I think when you look at the guys that function well together, I mean, we talked about Brandon Bean and and McDermott. Hmm. You know, Pete Carroll has been with John Schneider forever, right? And that's hard because the more time you're together, then the greater the opportunities are for you to grow apart, you know, where, yeah. where one guy gets a little bit jealous of the other guy's success or doesn't get his name in the paper enough and all that other stuff. Just that's human nature stuff, right? I mean, there, <laughs> there aren't a lot of people celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. So <laughs> it's, the same. It's, the, it's the same for coaches and GMs. Right. I mean, you can just look at the uh, the Jerry Krause and um, Phil Jackson thing on the last dance as well for that, can't you? Two yeah. people who had the same vision and same goal, but who wanted maybe more credit than the other and who couldn't justify having the ego not massaged enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. Jeff, staying on uh, staying on coaches as a theme in in the going back to the playoffs. Oh, who yeah. do you think's got the edge coach wise? What uh, who's your have you got a favorite coach out of those last eight or? Um, I, I think I got a like I think the way I would put it is I have a real strong respect for every one of them for certain qualities that they have. Like Andy coming off of a bye is unbelievable because he'll have a wrinkle that nobody's seen. Right. And you know, it'll, it'll, it'll make Cleveland go crazy. Right. (laughs) Stefanski on the other hand, I really respect because he's very young and he's an Ivy league educated kid who really paid the price. I mean, he, he got, he had a couple advantages His you know, he's in, went to school at the university of Pennsylvania, lives in Philly. His dad's the general manager of the, 76ers so he gets a kind of an entree right but that's that's I mean that's every business but then he went to Minnesota and he did everything and busted his butt and finally got an opportunity to be a coordinator then gets the Cleveland job and he walked into a I mean I don't it was bad I mean they had all (laughs) I mean it was they had players they've got good players they've always they've had good players for three or four three years right yeah but everything was screwed up and his his calm demeanor his you know unflappableness you know he doesn't he didn't want to be the show all that stuff has was the reason i think that they're there sean McVay, i think is you know i i spent about an hour with him once doing an interview and you can't help but like the guy because he's genuine he's exceptionally smart he's full of energy um he, he you know, he's he's like Pete Carroll. He's like a young Pete Carroll to me, right? Those yeah. two guys have Lovely. that kind of energy. LaFleur, I don't know, because LaFleur is almost like he's in the witness protection program. I mean, you never, <laughs> you never hear about it. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, You know, and, and, and that's probably good. That's probably good. Sean Payton's had sustained success, and that's hard to do in one place for a long time. Um, you know, so every one of those guys has qualities that you admire. Harbaugh, you know, is an old special teams guy. Obviously, you love that. And you love the fact that every year, every year, they are a physical football team, right? It's a, it's a, it's a non-negotiable item in Baltimore. And that's, you know, that's kind of been their, their motif forever. What about the Bruce Arians, Tom Brady thing? They... BA BA's my guy now. BA's my all guy. Right, okay. He he's first of all, he's got gray in his goatee, so that's cool. And <laughs> then the second thing is I love his candidness. I love his candor. Right. And you know, I've I've heard him get after players and you know on, on the field and just go, hey, it's not personal. Your football sucks. I mean, <laughs> it's not you. Yeah. You know? And you love him for that. And and I think, you know, what I'd love to see him win a Super Bowl. I really, really would love to see him win a Super Bowl. Far more than I'd love to see Tom Brady win a Super Bowl. Tom Brady's got, <laughs> yeah, Tom Brady's got enough. He's got enough. But, you know, for, for, for B.A., I would love to see that because he's kind of – there aren't going to be very many more of those guys in the national football league. Right. Because he's not a guy that's going to, you know, kiss your ass to 
to get yeah. a job. He's, he's not, not a guy. Polished, that, is he? Yeah, he's not a guy that's gonna see. You use that term polished, and I, I use the term phony. Right? He's not. A, <laughs> yeah. They're not. Okay. They're yeah, not, yeah. They're not a phony bone in his body. Right. Yeah. And if he goes in for an interview, and this is why this is why it took so long for him to get his chance in Arizona. He goes into an interview. He may drop the f bomb right in front of the owner's wife. I mean, that's just brutal. <laughs> but but you know he's but he's a great football coach, and the players love him. Was he like the kind of the perfect guy to deal with this Brady situation? Because they've it's he's called out Brady in this season and kind of said, yeah, Tom's not doing well enough. He's not throwing the ball that well in these games. And there aren't many people that would stand up to a, a six time. You know, everybody uses that phrase goat, which I can't stand, but, you know, guaranteed first Brown ballot Hall of Fame quarterback with the legacy that Brady's got. There's not many coaches that would be like, nah, he's not playing how we want him to play. He's not doing the job. And does that earn him actually respect from Brady as opposed to people trying to play the angle that, you know, they were at loggerheads at times this season? I, I think, you know, I think there's a couple answers for that because, I, you know, Belichick can be really hard too. I mean, he can be really hard. And, I think that Tom appreciates that because he knows they know what they're talking about. Right. And so there's a respect, a mutual respect there. And I think also when what you got to understand what that does inside your football team, when, like you said, the greatest of all time, a six time Super Bowl winner and all that stuff. And then the old man gets up and he says, you're not playing good enough. Right. Well, imagine what that does to like the backup guard. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. I, mean, I mean, it puts everybody on notice. And there's now they realize that, hey, there's a standard here that everybody's got to live up to, not just me, you know, but that guy over there and that guy's going to the Hall of Fame, you know. And, and but again, that's Bruce. That's always been the way he is. And I think it's even more so now. Because he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need, he's not into people slapping him on the back and telling him how smart he is. And, you know, I think it'd be really cool if he could just get one and, you know, get on his pontoon boat and go have a margarita. <laughs> so do you think they're going to win this weekend against the Saints, get revenge for the two regular season losses? Man, I'll tell you what. Ah, be a good game. I think, it'll be a gra- I think it'll be a great game. I think it's going to come down to this. I think it's going to come down to turnovers. Mm-hmm. Who makes mistakes like with the football? See, I think that probably if you look at the entirety of the whole deal, the Saints are a better football team because they have a, in my opinion, they have a huge edge in the kicking game, right? Both got great defenses, both got great offenses, you know, great quarterbacks, all that stuff, you know, both got great running backs. But I think uh, New Orleans has a huge advantage in the kicking game and where I worry about the Bucks is, you know, if they turn the thing over, yeah. you know. Advantage in the kicking game is something that just doesn't get said enough in American football about that being what it will come down to. Man. Uh, you know why? Because nobody understands the game, right? <laughs> I'm dead serious. I, I am I am 100% serious on this. It, it has been like getting like – I almost grabbed a pen the other day at Sky and stuck it right through my eye when uh, if there was one more penalty 
on a kickoff return or a punt return, I was going to stick that pen right through my eye. I told you, Jeff Reinbold, the coach, comes out every so often when he sees silly errors on the plays. I told you. But I just, it's like, it's like, how can you do that to your football team? Right? Because yeah. if you return a kickoff to the 30, right, that's not a bad play. What's a bad play is return the kickoff to the 30, then have a 15-yard holding or blocking the back call, and now the offense has to go out and start at the 15-yard line. Yeah. And the same thing on punt returns. I, I can't tell you how many times in the, in the wild card round did I see mistakes like that that just you cannot make if you're going to win big games. I mean, I shouldn't say you cannot. Those things make winning big games way harder. Jeff, that um, uh, I was I was thinking before when we were talking about having you on um, about things to ask you, and that's just jogged my memory to talk about some special teams in the regular season. Uh-huh. What did you think watching the Chargers the last couple of years, or the Falcons onside kick that lost in the game this year against the Cowboys, like stuff like that? I mean, it just must have an extra edge for you, like seeing mistakes consistently it, and on that scale well it's like for example you take the chargers their punter ty long is one of my guys i had ty in 2019 uh 2018 and he was dying because their special teams were killing them mm. killing them right and um you know you see the same thing like the play you're talking about with the falcons i mean <laughs> You talk about pens. I wanted two pens. High school kids know you jump on the ball. Uh, yeah, I mean, jump on it. And it's just, it's, okay. In defense of special teams coaches, I will say this. I have done this for 40 years. And 37 of, 32 of it, I guess it was, in, uh, in professional football. And of all that time, I've seen probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand football cards you know those cards that come in a pack of gum that mm-hmm. you get when you're a kid you know yeah, and they, yeah. the players get them and they sign them and give them as you know da, da, da. the tops cards and stuff like that yeah yeah not one time did i ever see one that said left guard on the punt team or r4 on kickoff or you know yeah they, the players don't think of themselves that way so the biggest challenge that you have is getting a group of guys that probably because they've been the best player their whole life, haven't really played much special teams to buy in as it's an important part of the game. And do I think that Atlanta probably covered that situation? I would hope so, but who's to say that the guy who was playing there that let the ball go wasn't in the back of the meeting room sleeping. Right. That's fair. Yeah, you know, because he wants to be playing linebacker or whatever yeah, because he sees himself. Yeah. He sees himself, and it's one of these. I got you, coach. I got you, got you. <laughs> That's why you, you, to be a special, to be a really good special teams coach, I think you got to have the knowledge of the game, all that kind of stuff. But you got to be part lion tamer, snake charmer, uh, therapist. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot to it because you're asking guys to do something that is fundamentally against human nature, right? I have seen kids go in the park and kick soccer balls, shoot basketballs, throw the football around. I have never seen kids go into the park and break up the wedge. (laughs) 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 
That's a good quote. That's a good quote. If we're yeah. going to clip off one bit, then that's, yeah. uh, that's, what, that's what I want. I mean, part of me now really wants to see kids going into parks all across the UK if they get to hear that and uh, breaking up wedges in their back. Well, no, social no, no, distancing no, would be wedges, wouldn't it? Is the oh, yeah, yeah. And you're not, you're not allowed a wedge. It's got to be two metres apart now. Two metres yeah. apart. Yeah. <laughs> They're screwing up a good thing, guys. Oh, they just... Uh, Jeff, I don't want to take up too much of your time, um, but we always, I mean, we have a habit of picking six games during the regular season each. We've only got four games this week. Can you give us a team from each game who you think is going to end up going through? I know it's uh, committing one way or the other. um, Rams, Packers, let's start with that. I would say Packers. Uh, Ravens, Bills. You know, I'm I'm going to... I may regret saying this, but I'm going to say the Ravens. Ooh, you just lost a lot of fans. <laughs> I, 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 no I one likes the I Ravens. Told I, was gonna, I told you I was going to re- regret saying it. Yeah, the Bills Mafia are going to put you through a table, Jeff. That's what No, and do. you know what? I tell you, I, and I'm a Bills fan. Cole Beasley's on that team. That's my guy. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. And now think of it. He, he, Cole's been in the league now, I think, almost 10 years. He's not going to get very many more chances. They've drafted a guy to take his spot, right? So do I want it? The, the ultimate Super Bowl to me would be uh, Bills against the Saints because I'd have Emmanuel Sanders on one side and have Cole Beasley on the other. And then I'd be happy. Right. <laughs> I want those guys. I, I, I would love to see Buffalo win. Right. But I do. I just think that. That where they, the matchups favor. The Ravens Ravens, if. If Josh Allen doesn't go crazy and get up 14 on him, and then then it's all over with because I don't think they can play from behind. Mm-hmm. What about if the Browns get ahead against the Chiefs? I mean, do, do you think there's any hope? It's Chiefs all the way. <laughs> uh, for the audio listeners, that is shaking the head quite convincingly <laughs> yeah. from Jeff. Yeah. As long as, you know, as long as Mahomes, as long as Mahomes can, you know, stay upright. I mean, if he got hurt, that'd be a different deal. But, you know, guys, Cleveland, I don't know how many yards Ben threw for, but it was a bunch. And I know they're playing, yeah. Yeah, they playing soft and all that other stuff, but they that's been their problem all year long, right? They've got some guys hurt in the secondary, and you know, um, that that was that's the thing that scares me there. I just don't know how Cleveland's going to keep them from making big plays because. Yeah. I mean, Sammy Watkins and, you know, Tyreek Hill and McCall. Yeah. I mean, which one do you, which one do you want? I mean, it's crazy. And you don't even have to think about CEH, but Le'Veon Bell. And Travis Kelsey. We didn't mention Travis Kelsey, did we? Yeah. (laughs) It's a better defense than last year as well in terms of productivity. Yeah. It's uh, scary. It's hard to see. Yeah. Okay. What about the battle of the 40 plus year olds? First time that two 40 plus quarterbacks have ever met in the playoffs. I think we should have more of this. I think they ought, they ought to pass the rule. You got to be over. You got to have at least <laughs> two teams with over forty quarterbacks in the playoffs every year. Yeah, it's got a senior league going or something like that. Oh geez, right? oh geez. <laughs> Who takes now, it? I think. I think, uh, I think, like I said, it's going to come down to turnovers. Um, even though there are no fans in the stands in New Orleans, I guess six thousand or whatever. I just think it's a huge advantage for them to play in that in that building because they're built for grass. I mean, built for turf rather. Mm, yeah. And uh, uh, having all of his weapons and guys, the one that 
to me, the X factor in this game is Deontay Harris because Deontay Harris has that thing that Emmanuel doesn't have anymore or Michael Thomas doesn't have. I mean, he has that ability to take a five-yard hitch and go in the house. Yeah. yeah. He's a bit and like that Ted Ginn Jr. kind of style. Of, you know, Ted Ginn Jr. would always break off like a big play once every five, six weeks or so, and it would be yeah. nothing turned into absolutely something because he's just lightning quick and able to yeah. run in space so well, yeah. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, I mean, just lastly, that by the way, that thing on the quarterbacks is just wild. That You've got two 40-plus quarterbacks. The average age is like 37. Jared Goff is the only one under that <laughs> what's the average age in the afc 24 or something is it yeah it's the young against old either side of the conferences bro think about this brady has more completions in the playoffs right than if you combine them mahomes allen jackson and you might be able to still fit uh, Goff in there too. Wow. Then they wow. Th- then then they have thrown. He's got more completions than they have attempts That's in the playoffs. Insane. <laughs> That's insane. insane. Yeah. Well, I guess what's it? What's the surf brand? Old guys rule. Is that the? <laughs> yeah, that's what. They, hey, that's what. That's what I keep telling people. Hey, um, you know what? Um, did you see the? Did you see the tweet that Brady put out with? Him and him and Breeze. Oh, the two old with the beards yeah, and everything like that. Yeah, <laughs> the History Channel <laughs> one. I tell, I tell you, man, he did Breeze wrong on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, unless unless Giselle did it, because like he had that nice beard and he still had you know his hair, yeah, yeah. good hair, and he looked over it. <laughs> he looks haggard. <laughs> It's mind yeah. games. That's playoff mind games right there. Breeze stares at that ah, every single day. Bullets and board. Maybe that's yeah, what Breeze like. We're, we're both old, but I'm pretty. That's what yeah. he's saying. Yeah. yeah, you're pretty old is what you are. That's, <laughs> they, they look that look like two guys from that show Duck Dynasty. I don't know if you guys got it. <laughs> yes, over here. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's uh, yeah. that's the Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger back in the old football days mind games where, you know, you float something out in the media just in the week beforehand just to just make to him start someone. thinking and unsettling a little bit. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's quality. Jeff, mate, I really appreciate the time. Um, it was great to chat. And uh, look, we'd love to do this in person with you at some point whenever that is an, an availability that... We're allowed in the UK. By the way, are you in a hotel? Have they put you up somewhere nice? Have you got like an Airbnb or anything? Where are you? Obviously not locations. but I'm in a hotel in Brentford. Classy. Very classy. (laughs) (laughs) Only the best, man. (laughs) Yeah, okay. All right. Hey, listen, guys. It's been awesome. I appreciate it. Let's do it again. Yeah, Yeah, cheers, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Have fun on Sunday. See ya. turned it into a let's discuss all the problems with the Eagles conversation and then just started to push that nail in a little bit more when Jeff got going like me or Dave you did I yeah oh that wasn't intentional oh it felt intentional it looked oh. intentional by the faces you did it as well like oh yeah what about the Eagles oh that Justin Jefferson narrative is really funny ha 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 what about that? I mean I had to bring up the JJ Ortega white side one as well because yeah, it's yeah, funny thank you very much yeah all right. that was quite it's quite fun though Ollie it's quite it's good fun 
after you slammed the Steelers earlier on. So didn't, didn't fuck you. slam oh, them. Man. Deserved it. I was I was back to back interviews. I was Look backing you, them up, stacking them up. I was backing up the Steelers on Twitter as well during that game. I was saying that they still had a chance when it was thirty-five ten. Well, they did because the Browns started they shitting did, the bed. Yeah. 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 Why did they punt? Why did they punt? I really don't know why he punted. I what think was they... he? It wasn't the game for that. I know your defense uh, was playing better, and I think they got two. They forced two, three, and outs on the Browns in a row. But it wasn't that game. This was a shootout. You've got to score with every like take punting off the when table. Twenty-eight nil down after the first quarter. Every possession has to be seven points. Yes. Oh, so crazy. I I think like how different that could have been actually. Because the momentum was really shifting. You could feel it. Yeah. Like if, they had, as... if they'd got that fourth down and then kept that drive going, which I'm sh- they would have done because the Browns weren't stopping anything. As like, soon as the Browns were 28 nothing up, you felt them take their foot off the gas. It was it was yeah. almost tangible of like, okay, we've got something we need to defend now. And we're not well, it felt like that with the Texans. Do you remember Texans against the Chiefs? It felt like that. Yeah. And then oh, the we've momentum. got something. It's You've got to hold amazing it. amazing feeling momentum. It's one of my favorite things in sports. Like how you can... It's really... As a fan, I kind of don't enjoy it, even when the momentum like is with your team, because it's almost like a very powerful thing that you can't enjoy at the time because you're just scared. Well, because if you're if you're stuff. a fan that's a bit negative, like and worried, yeah. yeah, about it, you know that that momentum in an innocuous play can say, yeah, yeah, yeah. where, where did that but, go? Like, but if you're watching it as like a neutral fan or like you like one one team a little bit more than another, like feeling the momentum of the game is like special. It's like. I fucking love it. Well, that was uh, it was you and I were chatting, weren't we, in the week about how how nice it is watching full length games as opposed to watching Red Zone because yeah. you don't get those swings of momentum when Scott yeah. Hansen's blabbering over the witching hour. Like, don't tell me the witching hour. Let me feel the witching hour in the game. Like, let me. Oh, yeah. you still need to go back and figure out that stat, by the way, Ollie. I, I expect it by the uh, by the off season. No, I'm doing it for next season. I'm going to watch the whole of oh, next. Yeah, okay. no, I'm not going back and doing. Go retrospectively. No, no, no. We're not going retrospectively. I'm not watching back over seven hours of commercial free football for 17 weeks. I mean, you wouldn't have to. You I just mean, you might have the, the time to do that. Around. To be honest, in the next couple of months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Given like lockdown four is coming, baby. I thought we were in lockdown four. What's we're not down three. Oh, okay. Well, we're still in lockdown three. Just when lockdown four. What are Wales on? Are we in four? Because we had that fire break. Oh no, you're in. Oh, you're in. Oh, that's a good question, actually. Uh, you're no, in, no, we had the fire break too in November. That was lockdown two. You're in <laughs> lockdown five. Lockhardia, the one where Bruce Willis passes the reins to the other one or something like that. Yeah, that's that's what it is. Um, so we had lockdown eight. Lockdown that really vengeance. Me. That's what we got to really be worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. COVID oh. surgeon, the worst. <laughs> um, should we do some bets quickly? Wrap up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah that sounds great. So Jeff's given we'll us intro, his picks, so that's fantastic. Um, so have you guys? I've got a six, six fold acker. I've got a four. I I just went four. I just so went on the games. I've got the games, and I've got a couple of under overs in terms of total points thrown in there as well. To what to create, make it six? To create a six, yeah. Because I thought I'm pretty you, dumb. I didn't think gambling about gambling addict. I didn't kind of think about that. That that was even an option. I was like, four games. It's got to be four. It's well, like, yeah. I agree with Dave. You stick with four games. No, no, no. I'm just. I'm saying I'm dumb because I didn't like. Didn't think that that was an option. I just like. All right, come on then, Dave. Hit me with your games. Yeah, let's go. Uh, so I've got the Rams to keep it. 
relatively close against the Packers, plus six and a half. Okay. Um, if it had been even one more, then I wouldn't have done that. So okay. if it, it was if it was five and a half, if it was plus five and a half, I wouldn't have done it. But six and a half looked decent enough. And I could see Rogers getting struggling against that defense at times. So I don't know. Okay. And then I got the Browns plus 10 against the Chiefs. Um, Because that's pretty meaty for a playoff game, plus 10. I could see them putting up some garbage numbers at the end. And the Chiefs tend to just win close games, no matter who they're playing. I've got the Bucks to win outright. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I feel pretty good about that decision. And then I've got the Bills to beat the Ravens. Ooh, went with the Bills. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah. that was the coin flip for me. I actually feel quite confident about those other... Bets, but I really feel like I could have flipped a coin and just gone Ravens easily. So, what uh, you got on that? Uh, it's only seventeen to one, Jazzy. Oh. How about you, Jess? What you got? I went almost identical to Dave. Nice. But I took the so, Packers minus six and a half. So sorry, this means that I'm not going to win my bet. Then I'll just okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've gone Packers minus six and a half as opposed to the Rams plus six and a half. I just oh, see Aaron okay. Rodgers scoring more points than that Rams offense could even try and come close to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously Aaron Donald's health was a bit questionable after the last game. So whether he'll be with one man wrecking ball again is a different question. And I, Jalen Ramsey's very good. I still back Devontae Adams. Yeah. And I got 15 to 1 for that. See, I could, I could see the Rams not really scoring in that game. And the Packers then for just need two touchdowns and they'll probably win by 10. So, so Sorry, Jazz. Did you... Everything else is the same. You've got the Browns plus 10, you've got Tampa Bay, and you've got the Bills. Cool. Absolutely. Okay. Nice. So, so we have one difference. So I've gone with the Packers outright. I think that's just smart money at the end of the day. Um, I've gone with the Chiefs outright. Again, smart. I didn't even think about the spread, but yeah. Uh, I've taken the Ravens, and I only yeah, did it uh, yeah. because I should have bet on them last week, and that's the only one that screwed me over. But also... I so want the Ravens to lose that at least if they win, I'm still in the game. <laughs> oh, I don't want that logic again. Yeah, yeah I don't I mind. Don't, oh, I'm going to bet that. on the Eagles to lose, but if they win, I'm going to like yeah. it because oh, hey, my yeah. team, I'm I don't happy. like this hedge your bets, sit on the fence. Like Either way, <laughs> I'm happy. Side, my, life is so, my life is so great. Either hey, way, I'm so happy. We all need a win in lockdown four, three, whichever one we're in. Um, three. I've gone with the Bucks outright to beat the Saints because... Nice. I think this is going to be quite a defensive game. I've got, I know both offenses have explosiveness, but I think both defenses have also got the ability if they play to their maximum to shut it down. So I've also gone for that for under 51 points total between the Saints and the Bucks. And I've gone Ooh. for the yeah, Browns Chiefs to be that. over 56. So I've, uh, I've added those I would have in. gone the other way around. <laughs> yeah. I would have said the Browns might score 15 and the Chiefs will score 24 or cover the spread. Yeah, they'll cover, they won't cover the spread. So the Browns will be close by it because the Chiefs will score the points and they just take the foot of the gas and just, yeah, yeah, hand the ball off, hand the ball off, hand the you ball off. You think the Browns will only score maybe twice? Yeah. Why? I just don't see how they'll have enough possessions. I don't think they'll be able to get the ball up and down the field enough. And I think they'll be coming from behind quite a lot. So they'll abandon the run pretty quickly. Yeah, I think if the Browns get out to an early lead, it will be because of slow, patient play. I could just see the Chiefs, though, just 
studying them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Complete. So can I. But I, I don't think the they'll place. carry on running the score up. I think they'd stop and just say, oh, let's hand the ball off and just run the ball. Chiefs put like 40 on plus on them. Yeah. Kind of go get They, they could do. Yeah. But, yeah, but I, the, is... the Bucks Saints game, I see the Bucks winning it because I think Brady has been much better since the bye week. And I think he's got a point to prove. And also, we've seen the in all the past years, Brady in December and January is usually a very good, very yeah. lethal player. And the player. Saints in in uh, in January. I'd like to so get back to against yeah. them. Yeah. Well, you know, Zebra. They're going to get beaten. They well, are going to get beaten. I feel re- I feel the most confident about Tampa Bay beating the Saints. Really? Oh wow! Of, of those of those games, apart from the Chiefs, obviously that's a given. But if you take the the other well, ones, I thought the Steelers feel... was a given. But if they go up twenty eight points in the first quarter, the Browns could have a chance. Yeah, is that foolish, annoying confidence going to be coming back too often? Of Browns, uh, Steelers going to win. Steelers going to win, and then they don't. Is that like quelled this? No. Okay. Because if I think they were going to win, I'd still stand by my guns and go with it. It's irritating. Big thanks to both of our guests who joined us on the show today. You can find Sal Capaccio, the Buffalo Bills sideline and beat reporter, on Twitter at Sal Sports. That's at S-A-L Sports, all one word. And you can find Jeff Reinbold on Sky Sports NFL this weekend as he breaks down the playoffs for us all. You can also find him on Twitter at Jeff underscore Reinbold. That's at Jeff underscore Reinbold. And that's where you can also find his Coffee with Coach uh, segments as well. Well, big thanks to Jazz and Dave for joining us. Uh, o underscore J underscore Wilson is my Twitter. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. At Jazz Gillum uh, is Jazz's. That's at Jazz Gillum. And Dave is at David Bluck One. That's at David Bluck One on Twitter. And of course, you can follow the show's Twitter account at Return the Picks. That's at Return the Picks. Uh, in the meantime, please like and subscribe and follow us on all good podcasting outlets, including iTunes and Spotify and Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, our host, and of course the TuneIn Radio app. And enjoy the American football coming up this weekend. Rams Packers, Ravens Bills, Browns Chiefs and Bucks Saints for fantastic divisional round game. Enjoy. Enjoy.